Once again, the theme song plays. That means it's another episode of Swing Thoughts. Of course, I'm Golf Spiritual Leader. I say of course, because if you're listening to the show, you know that. There uh, there for your edification is uh, GSL's uh, bestie, Coach Tim O'Connor. Good morning, GSL. Good morning, Coach. And of course you are. Say again. And of course you are. <laughs> um, this is a, uh, we're going to do a few episodes, actually. We've got a bunch of them coming up. So this is going to be a shorter one because it's just Timmy and I. Um, we're going to release this uh, when we normally do on Friday. So when you hear this, it'll be the 29th of September. The following week, we got, we're going to have an interview with a friend of mine, uh, interesting television inter- interesting television guy. No, he's a te- where did I get television from? He's an interesting golf instructor. Wow. I am tired, dude. Um, named John Cochran. I've known him for 30 years. Used to teach at a driving range at Upper Middle Road and Ninth Line. Very famous uh, family golf there. Oh, yeah, yeah, family golf. Family golf. Um, and then the following week, somewhere in the, I think, the second week of October, we're going to have uh, Dr. Raymond Pryor return to our program. Uh, so lots of uh, swing thoughts coming up today. It's just us. Uh, as always, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. What a season with TaylorMade. Thanks to everyone there. We certainly appreciate it. Oscar Bravo, who is OscarBravo.com, and uh, Stretch Lab Toronto. Let's get right to it. Your band is playing. Your band is playing Dixie. Double four time. Your band, what is your band's name again? C-I-D. Stands for all kinds of different things. Um, but... Um, yeah, we play vintage punk music, and we're playing the Golf House, which is a uh, indoor golf facility in the north end of Guelph. And the guys thought, and I thought it would be really fun because they've got um, kind of a loungy area. They've got this great bar, all kinds of you know cocktails and beers and stuff, wings to die for. But why not have our band play and just create kind of an event? So. We're doing it this Saturday, and that also falls on National Reconciliation Day. So we're creating a fundraiser with it for Indigenous youth. So we're going to do some fun things, combining music and golf and, and fundraising with the longest drive competition closest to the hole, and just give what you can, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so you, it's called The Golf House. You can check it out, obviously, online. But uh, Yeah, it sounds fantastic. It's really going to be fun. I have a question. Are you um, this microphone that you're speaking into? Is the are you speaking into the mic or into the mic in your headphones? Ooh, that's a good question. It is a great question because usually your your mellifluous mellif, mellifluous is that the word? Your well, deep and rich. There you go. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, somehow it. Um, yeah, it's it switched back to your uh, Apple. Your. Uh, Pause yeah. there. Well, that's great. So that's CID, Tim's band, uh, playing at uh, Golf House in uh, Guelph. By the time this show uh, drops, as the kids like to say, I will have been at the Danforth Music Hall doing stand-up. That's awesome. It is. It's unnerving. I got a call from a friend of mine who's pretty famous in the stand-up world. He uh, tours across the country. He lives in Los Angeles, and I knew him from back when I was a comedian. 
in the 80s. His name is Jeremy Hotz, and we've been friends for a long time. The last, like, I'll tell you the level of rooms he normally does. He did Massey Hall the last time he was here. Whoa. Yeah. And the Danforth Music Hall is a 1,500-seat, soft-seat theater. So oh, and it is amazing. I've seen so many shows there. It well, is an amazing facility. I've been to a few shows, but I'm going to be standing on the stage Thursday night. That's uh, cool. Opening for my buddy Jeremy. Call me last week. Here's how unnerved I was. <laughs> I'm playing Men's Night a week ago today because we're recording this September 27th. This is a true story. And... um. I'd gotten through, like, I'll, I'll just tell you, I'm part of the theme today is going to be how, you know, one of the, because, because golf is filled with these vagaries that, you know, part of it is how you feel. So I'm playing along. It was kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired already. It's late in the afternoon. It's about, we've got about seven holes to go. And Jeremy calls me from LA. He says, Hey, calls me glassy. He says, Hey, glassy. Do you want to do some minutes before my show? And I said, yes, I do. Thinking he was going to be a Massey Hall again. Because that would be amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not that, because the last time he was in town, he was there. So not that the Danforth isn't, it's just not as historic, but it's still a pretty good gig. So oh, I said, yeah. yes. He says, well, I'll have my manager call you. Um, looking forward to hanging out with you. And then he hangs up. And at that point in the round, with seven holes to go, I think I was a couple over par. And then I just made, I made a series. This is true. My next swing, I duck hooked it out of bounds. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I just, I went, I went from two over I, that, that day. I think I shot 83. So it might have been three over whatever it was. I went like eight over the last seven holes. Yeah. Because totally. my body went into a completely different. You got it, man. Ah. Like it was immediate coach. Yeah, no, get that. 100%. I was just nowhere. I was not on. I was not on time, as Doctor Raymond would say. I was completely cortisol, all that. Like immediately, Dang. I couldn't even hit the golf ball after that. I was so unnerved by. And and why? Because I was excited, but also you know, oh yeah, as it sunk in that yeah, I've done two shows in my life in bigger venues. I opened for how this is how long ago it was. I opened for Howie Mandel twice. Edmonton and Calgary in 2000 seat soft seat theaters. And it's an amazing experience, but it's unnerving too. It's like, you know, it's a lot of people and you have to, you know, it's a bigger deal. You know, I mean, I, I was uh, immediately cause Jeremy is a big enough, you know, comedy star. He's charging. It's a hundred dollars a ticket. Ooh. Oh yeah. This is the real thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so by the time this drops, hopefully I will have uh, survived my, the latest comedy gauntlet that I have to walk through because that's what it feels like sometimes. Well, I love that. And it's interesting is that I think you'd kind of put the stand-up thing on the shelf for a little bit, didn't you? Or just because you were playing golf? Yeah, just the last year. You know, usually I in the wintertime, I would do a lot of it, but because I was away most of the winter, I didn't do much of it. But the last three weeks I've done, I did stand-up, I sort of hosted an event where I did some comedy. Then two weeks ago, I, ho- I actually did stand up at an event uh, at a community th- uh, center here in front of 300 people. And it was soft seat as well. Like an audience sitting in chairs, spotlight stage. So it was pretty good. So I'm, I'm not that I'm current, but it's not like I haven't done it in a year. I'm, I'm fairly, you know, I know what I'm going to do. But I will tell you, it's definitely got my attention. No, certainly. Hey, you know what? I, I it's interesting. So you've mentioned soft seat a couple times. 
Now, relating that, say, to golf and performance, why is that important? Well, here's what you'd think. You'd think doing stand-up for a larger group would be harder than doing it for a small group. So when you're in a room where, like Yuck Yucks is a perfect example, it's great. You know, you get 250 people in there. It's pretty easy because, you know, people are less self-conscious about, you get 25 people in a room. It's very difficult because people can hear their own laugh. And sometimes if, what if they laugh at something that everyone else doesn't, they're very self-conscious. So, and, and the psychology of standup is if you're standing on a flat, if you're standing on the floor and, you know, looking up at the audience and it's bad acoustics and the lighting is weird, it really does skew the outcome. But walking on stage in front of 1500 people, I can tell you, yes, I'll be nervous, but it's a lot easier than walking on stage in front of 15 people. Or, or I think, as you said before, about 100 really drunk people yeah, at yeah. tables. <laughs> and you're, you're on the same level yeah. as them. And, and excuse it's me, horrible. I'm going to talk here. I've been, I've been employed to talk to you. But think about <laughs> well, the psychology. I know you want to talk among yourselves. Like these people will have gone, gotten, they will have either gone right from work or they'll have gone home and they've gotten dressed up and they've spent, I think the tickets are around 90, 95. They've spent a lot of money. Yeah. And they and they're and they're there anticipating a great time. So they're there wanting to laugh. I'm not saying that I'm not funny, but I'm going to be a lot funnier tomorrow night because those people want me to be. That's the psychology of it. Um, And again, I've only had the experience a couple of times doing that bigger room. Yeah. My biggest worry isn't is I just have two quick things. I'll get to golf. My biggest worry is. And I don't worry. Concern is, can I remember? Because I'm only doing 10 or 12 minutes and I have to kind of pick and choose from stuff. And it's so can I remember the order of it? And then I also have to remember to slow down in between and let the laughs because it comes at you in a wave. So when you speak, it takes a second for 1500 people to respond so hopefully that's not I mean I hope you know I'm gonna I'm, I'm looking forward to it because it's a big challenge I love me I, I love talking about stand-up on a golf show because I just think it's so uh, intertwined I don't know if that's the right word there's it's it so many of the same things are happening how am I going to be judged will I be you know am I going to perform well and I prepare do I have my best stuff today it's a lot of the same thing and and so I just think it's it's really cool that you straddle these worlds, um, and I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why you're very good in both of them. Thank you. You know, it's very true that I've, I've said this. I've used this metaphor before. Like the jokes are like your the jokes are just like your golf swing. You know, you you have your golf swing, and hopefully, you know, it kind of is working that day, but the game itself isn't the jokes. It's the performance part. And in order to perform, you need to be as present as you can. Like, you know, we talk about this in golf all the time about, you know, being in the past and the future, as you just said, how am I doing? How, what about, what's it going to be like? I'm going to hand this score in today. What if it's not the score? Blah, blah, blah. With stand up, the score is immediate. Mm-hmm. And and if you're not there in the present moment, the one, again, I I know for sure that some of the training I've done on this show has definitely helped me on stage because 
Even this show I did a couple weeks ago where I was, you know, it's pretty nervous. It's 300 people. They paid some money and they were all sitting there waiting for the show to start. And I said this to myself. And I got this from Paul Doolin years ago. Uh, just before they announced me, I said, don't forget, this isn't about you. <laughs> well, maybe just to tie this up, I think another thing that you can connect it between golf and performance, you know, stand up giving a speech or something is that the people want you to do well yes the people you play golf with even if you've never played with them before they want you to do well they're not going to judge you harshly if you you know top it off the tee or launch it out of bounds or a joke bombs they they're there because they want you to do well you know because as fellow human beings we don't want anyone to suffer 100 percent, as you would say you know when we hit a bad shot in golf we think that somehow the others in our group um, are judging us harshly. But as you say, I think they mark us kindly because when I see somebody hit a bad shot, I don't go, you know, I don't go, oh, this guy sucks with a dink. Exactly. I, I think, oh, dang, that's too bad. Or, and, or I'm glad that's not me. Yeah. Glad I'm not in the, I didn't hit it in the hazard. And as or I said, go like, or as it launches into the farmer's field, oh, I hit that solid. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and as I said, you know, these the like everything is stacked in my favor for this show. I only have to do uh, between eight and twelve minutes. So, I, and so, and like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk out in front of these people. They are gonna be excited to be sitting there. You know, at an event, because we all know what that feels like. They're not going to be oh, sitting yeah. there going, "Gee, I hope this first guy sucks." <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not, and, and 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 there's a momentum to that many people. And I listen. I know enough about crowd control. And again, I'm, you know, I, I when I say about being in the room and not being about me, like I'm going to basically start tomorrow night. Yes, I've got some jokes. I've got some swings I'm going to make, but I'm going to start from a point of just exploring what's going on. Welcome to the room. Everyone's excited. Jeremy's going to be coming on later because I'm also the host of the show. So there's some latitude to that. Um, And before they know it, I'll be making them laugh. But I won't I won't lie to you. Like, here's we're sitting here recording this uh, Wednesday morning. And the first thing I thought of when I woke up this morning was one more sleep and then I have to go do this. That's right. That's right. You know, I can't help. I, I, I'm going to be really quick here. No, please so, take your time because this is the show, everybody. So there's there's this um, punk band of, from England called GBH. I think they were early 80s. And, well, they're playing a gig in Guelph. And I thought, this is just so like the, the way I think, <laughs> the way a lot of us think, is um, I thought, hey, why don't I talk to the promoters about, hey, why don't you get us to our band to open? We play punk music, too. Um, and I thought, oh, you don't want to have that thing that happened to Joe Jackson when he opened for The Clash in Toronto when someone hit, threw a fully dressed hot dog at him and it nailed him squarely in the chest. And he just went, fuck you, gave the finger, walked off stage. Did he really? Oh, I yeah, love Joe yeah. Jackson. Um, listen, man, uh, it's what you, it, the, the metaphor is there. We all want to perform. Like you know, we talk a lot about tournament golf on this show, and uh, you know, you've been in some tournaments. You used to ho- ho- you used to host, you used to coach a golf team, and um, I played a lot of tournaments. It's, it's the twenty seventh of September since September first, including yesterday. I played a thirty six hole tournament. I was exhausted. I've played golf or practiced almost every day 
of the month of September. And I think this is where I wanted to get to today in terms of the, you know, not just the vagaries of the game again, but, but to give ourselves permission to, you know, especially as we age, to acknowledge that one of the reasons golf is hard is because we don't feel the same way in our bodies every day. And also, you can get a little bit burned out of it. You know, like I, I, because of the commitments I've made to playing these tournaments, and we had our Senior Ryder Cup, Glenn Karen, uh, in great finish. We finished second in the two-day finals, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, that was on awesome. the heels of a bunch of qualifiers that I had and another invitational and a thing at the club. And, you know, I, I, I'd say that I didn't, I have definitely hit the wall. I was supposed to play men's night tonight, but I uh, canceled. I just just need Smart a few days. that you are. I, I just need, I'm honestly, after yesterday's 36, by the way, it was continuous. It wasn't like we played 18 and then we broke. It was like they, 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 someone drove around a cart and served us lunch on the course. So I teed off at 9 a.m. It was 5.15 when we finished. I was, my back was sore and I was, my face was all red. <laughs> it was. That's a lot of golf for a man of I'm your a whole, vintage. I'm an old man. It's too much. So, yeah, did I play great yesterday? No, I did not. You know, in fact, I was uh, pretty bad right from the beginning. <laughs> like, I love how you interview yourself. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. I didn't play well. I literally smother hooked the first shot I took of the day. Like, it was pretty gross. Oh, uh, yeah. But I had a great time. I had some big laughs yesterday because the guy I play with is very, very funny and very good golfer finished third in Ontario at the senior this year. He's a pretty good player. Wow. Yeah. But what about that? So what what do you what say you to that, Coach Tim, about how people sometimes we we have these expectations of ourselves, but sometimes forget that, you know, you've played a couple days in a row or you're a little you didn't sleep great the night before. Oh golly. Um we're different yeah every you mentioned I mean you're different every day you wake up. You know, you maybe you had a different sleep. Let's say, you, you know, you play really well one day or you go to the range, have an amazing session, expect to play great the next day. But you're a different person in many ways. You're you, you've you slept differently. You've had a, maybe a conversation with, you know, uh, someone that was uh, maybe unnerving or or exciting, just like you talked about, um, you know, about getting that phone call. But your body is different. And. And I think the the challenge is is that we want to control golf as we want to control our lives. We want everything to be great. We want to be get what we want. So we think that perhaps the the swing thought or the feel that worked yesterday, if I just do that today, will be amazing. Mm-hmm. And so often it is not because you're a different person, and you re- so many things. And I think the the thing to maybe people could uh, think about a little bit is is more to sort of is to investigate what's going on for you that day so rather than getting on the on the range you go how come i can't draw the ball today mm-hmm. and you go like, you know i got a little bit of a pulley fade going well go with that that's that's what you got that day or maybe you're not hitting your irons that solid maybe you got to go half a club up or something so it's being aware of what's happening instead of thinking about oh how do i fix this no, I think that's a great point you just made about not. That's where awareness comes in. The idea that an acceptance, 
and and being present. This is how things are showing up for me today, rather than, and I'm as guilty of it as anyone, rather than trying to cure or fix whatever is going on to try and make it to, to replicate what happened the day before. I mean, I've said this now a thousand times, you know, the idea that there should be a disclaimer to golf, that the past, your past performance is no indication. And I say that and yet sometimes forget it. Like yesterday, like I was, it was confounding me how poorly I was hitting it. And again, I could give you all the explanations that sound like excuses. It was cold and super windy. And I'm playing from back tees. And, and I was also playing with a guy that I don't play with very much, but he's a very good player. And maybe I subconsciously wanted to impress him. At the same time, the two other guys we played with all day, 36 holes with two 28-year-old human men who I don't know if you've been around a lot of them lately. I know you have some some boys yourself, but by the way, I mean I see his sons. He doesn't keep boys uh, in the cage. <laughs> he doesn't. He, he doesn't. Uh, but it, but you know what I mean. And, and this one kid was like six three. So subconsciously, I think I was trying to get more out of my rickety old sixty three year old frame than was there because I thought about <laughs> yep. it. I did. I thought about it on the way home. I, you know, I was a. I, I, listen, I've hit some, honestly, some horrible shots. But I thought about it too late. I thought, you know, Howard, I should have stopped trying to cure, fix, replicate, and just played some shots. I should have just been more present to the fact that I, I was way off. I was way out of sync. But I'm pretty creative, and I can always find a way to work a shot. But I and one of the few shots I did hit that was pretty good was like under a tree. I had to hook it around and and it was a great little it was a great shot because it brought my creativity, brought me into the present right into play. Well, yeah, well, and that really is so much of just what we need to do is just use our awareness rather than being always in this fix-it mode, basically being guided around by our nose, by our egocentric mind, which wants what it wants. And and so I, I was just looking at my, my journal. I was, was really enjoying um, the Sam Harris uh, daily meditations this week, mm-hmm. and particularly earlier this week. And I just think it's so applicable to golf, life, everything. And, and so the key piece, uh, I forget what day it was, he just said, the, the idea or the theme for it was just rest in awareness, mm-hmm. which is such a different thing than how can I figure this fucking thing out? Or what was I was doing yesterday? How come I can't do it today? That's a whole different thing. And he was just and he went on. I think it was the next day. He goes, all I need to do is just need to notice what is happening there. And this is I added this sort of this is kind of like my version of italics. There is no need to try to do anything is just need to notice what is happening. Mm-hmm. And when I do that in my golf and in other parts of my life, things seem to work out okay. It doesn't mean I'm going to hit perfect golf shots. It doesn't mean um, every sentence I write in my blog is going to be gold. But it's just such a better way to live. <laughs> That's, I don't know. that this just is Noticing what's happening just... Is such a different paradigm than trying to fix what's happening, impose something on it, a solution, get what I want now. I, that just never seems to move me in a way that provides, whether it be solid golf shots or a feeling of equanimity or 
And that's the problem. With, well, I love all that. The problem with golf is the challenge of golf. I know people don't like to use the word problem anymore. It's a challenge. No, it's a problem. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> some things are a problem. Um, the challenge of the game is that you've just hit a shot. You know, like I say, I smother hooked the first couple of drives I hit. I hit lots of shots. Yes, I hit lots of shots yesterday where I felt apart from myself. You ever have that feeling mm-hmm. where you're like, just where's the golf ball? And, yep. you know, the awareness. I So what I was going to say, the challenge of the game is that, that you get it much like doing stand-up where there's a instant pass fail. Mm-hmm. Because of the rate, because it's such a specific outcome. But golf's like that. You're looking for a specific outcome. You have 130 yards to a green, and the pin's tucked over a bunker. You know immediately if you've. That's why. Um, let me finish my one sentence. We know immediately if we've hit it thin, we fatted yep. it, we sculled it, we pushed it, we pulled it because because we can feel it in our body. But then you see the outcome in your eyes, and it's hard not to judge it because yep. it's so easily judged. And then, of course, the game asks us to wonder what happened, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then you start, as you've said a million times, you go through your Rolodex of, well, what is happening? As opposed to what Sam says, and I've heard him say it a bunch of times, resting in awareness is just saying, well, that just happened. I don't need to fix it. I'm going to go on and see if I can hit this bunker shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a totally different thing. And, and what I can relate to there in terms of, like, I haven't given... Uh, a speech in public for about a year and a half and I do intend to get back into that in a big way but there was a number of times in which I'm standing in front of a crowd it could be 50 it could be 200 people giving a speech and there's a moment in which I feel like maybe I've uh, tripped over a line I've forgotten my place and it's like oh god just this this kind of feeling in my gut of no way around it fear and 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 Getting kind of regrounded, getting more present at that moment, it, it's absolutely crucial because where do I go? Is that, oh, this, well, I guess I suck at this. Mm-hmm. Look at the looks on these faces <clears throat> of these people. And it's like, how do I have the temerity, the gall to think I could stand up here and earn the right to stand and talk to you? But if I can just allow myself to get to get grounded, maybe take an extra breath. Just takes a second or so, but I can just kind of come back and calm the waters and, and proceed. And and sometimes it's funny. I just, you know, giving a talk and I look back and I go like, wow, five minutes ago, I thought I was going to die. But right <laughs> exactly. Now, but it's moving along okay now. Well, and I've, I've had this experience uh, when I was doing a lot of stand-up a couple of years ago. Where, you know, I could just, I did one weekend at Niagara Falls a couple springs ago. I did five nights, five shows in three nights. One Thursday, two Friday, two Saturday. And I remember having that feeling of walking on stage maybe for the second show Friday night or whatever. And just not really being there. Just kind of like, I could tell because I, you can feel it in your eyes. Like I, for me at least, where I don't feel focused where I don't feel like I'm in the room. I'm sort of trying to think in my head, like, where am I going with this? What am I going to say? And that's why when I said earlier about my concern about tomorrow night, it's not a concern. It's just an awareness that I've got to be, you know, I've got to practice today, but not to the point where 
I'm so worried about it that I can't actually deliver it. And that's what golf does. You know, I had a great range session on Sunday. Like, really great. Hit it great. And then two days later, yesterday, I can't hit a golf ball. Oh, boy. Everyone who's listening to this, <laughs> including me, is saying, yeah, been there, yeah. done that. What the hell? By the way, if you're keeping track at home, uh, O'Connor has two fucks and a golly, which is <laughs> today on the show. I just wrote that down a couple of minutes ago. I'm like, this is why I love this guy, because he's the same guy that said golly, but he's also said fuck twice. So, um, yeah, we can all relate to that. Uh, why is that? You know, because every day is different. And, you know, yeah, I just but but accepting it, resting in the awareness of it is the trick. Yeah, well, I I remember this really stayed with me. It was relatively early on in our Swing Thoughts saga of working together. And you mentioned about a gig in which you're on stage (laughs) and you noticed that there was a father and a daughter there. And I forget, you you finished the story, but I think it was was either that you were so caught up in your head that you didn't respond to it. Right. Or you, in fact, you did respond to it. But I think that's a perfect example of being present, of noticing your audience and responding to them. So just, I don't know. Do well, I, can't, remember I, I, I remember it. I can't wait. But you, you, you've recalled it correctly. Somehow or another, I just I was doing stuff about my daughters and missed that there was a father and a daughter in the audience. And that would have been... It would have been so much a richer experience for everyone if I'd acknowledged that. But uh, I thought the reason I started laughing is I thought you were talking about the time where I was emceeing a show in Cambridge and I had to walk through the audience after like it was a it was a stage in a narrow room, like 150 people. But there was no backstage. So after I introduced the next comedian, I had to walk through the audience to get out to get out of the room. And I just had I'd done 15 minutes. And I just bombed like like it was not great. You know, like shooting a million in golf. And then, uh, so <laughs> as, as is tradition, I introduce, I say, hey, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your first comedian. Here's Tim O'Connor. And as is tradition in stand up, the comic comes on, he's supposed to say, hey, <clears throat> keep it going for your MC, Howard Glassman. And I'm walking through the room, and all you can hear is him clapping. <laughs> and, uh, I started laughing because, trust me, nobody was keeping it going for Howard Glassman. Like, talk about an instant, like, scorecard review is like, nope. We don't, it's like, we don't like you so much, we can't even fake it. <laughs> we can't even <laughs> pretend. They didn't even want to pretend to keep it going for Howard Glassman. Anyway. Yeah, but no, no, no. We, we want to be thinking of good things going into tomorrow night. We don't want to be thinking of those, of those things. They, they can, those, those, those traumatic moments can come to mind. That made me laugh. We can put those behind us. Maybe so, you can use that as material. I don't well, know. I, I've told that story a bunch of times because it makes me laugh every time and because it's so horrifying. Um, so we haven't done a show in a couple of weeks. And along the lines of the vagaries of the game, I mean, the last time we did a show, I talked, I had just qualified for the Senior Am, which, by the way, I'm not playing tomorrow because of this gig. I feel bad. I had to tell my partner, listen, man, this thing has come up. And I, I thought about it. I'm not going to be able to get to uh, from the golf course in Brampton to the Danforth Music Hall. And even if I could get there on time, I didn't want to be like in a mode of like doing the golf and then rushing to this gig. 100%. And, and I thought, you know, listen, I give a lot to golf. And, I, and you know, my partner, Jamie, understood. And so, but, but in the t- 
time since we've recorded a show. Um, you know, I had a pretty, I've been playing pretty well. I've had a pretty good run in the last six weeks of golf. Certainly hitting it great. And so I shot 72 with, with Fitzsimmons. Nice. Then, then, but I, we talked about this. I shot 72 to qualify for the, uh, the Ontario Better Ball, which I'm playing in on Monday. So I shot 72 with him, 70 with uh, Jamie at Gray Silo. Then my next round was 83. And, and then, you know, just again, as golf goes. So these are my following scores. 72, 70, 83, 67, 80. And I, I sent you a text after I shot 67 because it was pretty, it was, you know, it was my first time under, not my first time under par, my first time in the 60s this year. It was also my, tied for my lowest round ever, Glenn Karen, one off my lowest round ever. And, you know, so I had some good golf going. I was under par a couple of times in recent rounds. And then all of a sudden this round happened. But the reason I, I wanted to bring it up because, uh, again, to talk a little bit about it, not just from a braggadocious level, but from an instructive level, is that the two rounds on either side of it were 83 and 80. So I went from, you know, 83, which is a pretty high score for me, you know, considering what I shoot normally. And then I shoot 67, which is an incredible low score for me. And then I shoot 80, which was like, where'd that come from? Again, because golf's just hard, you know, unless, except on the odd day where like that day I shot 67, it wasn't hard at all. It was ridiculously easy. To the point where you're like, why can't this be like it was it? Yeah. Why can't I shoot 67 every time I play? Oh, wow. I guess the, what I'll go on is my. I just, everyone, again, everyone who's listening to this podcast or most people just relate hugely that you, you never own golf. You might rent it every once in a while. You yeah. might just, but it's like a mountain with no top. You just you never get to it and go like I got this. I mean, that's just the way that the, the game goes. It's as we've said over the eight years that we've done this is the hardest game you could, you know, become passionate about. Really. Should become passionate about something like, you know, maybe racquetball mm-hmm. or, or pick a pickleball now, but golly, it's it's just trying to there we are, golly number two. Golly number um, two t- currently golly's tied with fucks. <laughs> If I can, I'll use the I word. If I can just divorce myself from any feeling of my reputation, how how good I am based on on the number I scrawl in the scorecard, I'll be in a good place. But dang, it's so hard. It's so effing hard not to get caught up in that. And that to me is the struggle of golf. And that's why I I love it so much. It's you know, it's physical, technical, emotional, mental, and it's spiritual game. And that's, that's why I love it. It's just such a portal into, into understanding ourselves and, and just witnessing ourselves. And, and, you know, you've, I love the word you use often in terms of golf is the vagaries. Mm-hmm. And because, man, that's the, that's the way life is too. I mean, in all kinds of different ways, we, do we show up? We hope we do well and people will like us and we'll think we're pretty competent, but eh, laid an egg that day. Oh, well. But the next day, we knock it out of the park, as it were. I think a mix of... No, I like that. But yeah, even, even, even as far as the stand-up goes, like I know, and again, 
you know, I've done a lot of work this summer to try and get to a place where I'm enjoying the golf, even on the days that I don't shoot the numbers or have the swing. Like I got to tell you, I had several very, very funny moments yesterday in one of the worst days I've swung a golf club in months now, like really bad. But I had such a good time because that's that's, amazing. That's my priority. Yes. I, you know, and then, yeah, and I was a little bit at times embarrassed that I wasn't playing better because the first 18 is better ball. The second 18 is modified alternate shot. And the first 18, you know, I don't know what I shot, but it was close to 80. And my partner shot 74. So, you know, I made one birdie. He made four. Believe me, he carried the ball. And, you know, mm. when you're playing in a partner game, you're like, oh, you know, it's like I was by show up at some point. Yes. And, but he, you know, we had such a good time. And, and that was the point of it. The day I shot 67, which is just less than two weeks ago now. Um. You know, my older brother and I were talking about it, and he asked me some interesting questions about, like, you know, what was my mindset? When in the round did I know that it was going to, you know, things were sort of different? It was just, here's the thing. I hit 17 greens in regulation. 17. I played bogey-free for the day. So That's early, better than most tour professionals. It's Well, it's better than, you know, it's, it's one of the best ball-striking days I've ever had. And so I knew early on, I could feel it. You know, I just hit... I hit, I didn't miss a green. My first missed green was the 12th hole of the round. So when I say golf is pretty easy on those days, you know, I'd hit the fairway or somewhere near the fairway and I hit the green and I always just took my, I was taking my putter out. I was walking that day. So I was, you know, things were going on at a good rate. Plus I was playing with a couple of guys that I really like. One of them in particular makes me laugh as well. And he, we were playing in, in, in our little Saturday game. So there's 45 guys, and we were the last group. So score matters. You got to putt out. Your number, your score is going to be posted. And he's a one or two handicap. I'm a one. So I said to him at the beginning when I found out that he was my partner in the game, I said, this was the joke. We have absolutely no chance. That's so right. I, I said to him, <laughs> the, no on the chance. first tee, I just jokingly said, you and I, we're going to have a good time today, Mike, but we have no chance of winning. Which turned out to be true, by the way, because of, of our because of our handicaps. And yep. so well into the round, I, I was sort of aware, like mm, playing pretty good, made some early birdies and wasn't starting to think about shooting in the 60s until the back nine when I birdied the 11th hole to go three under for the round. And I felt pretty good in control. And the banter in the group was really good, like he and I were joking around all the time. There was a little inside game going on, joking around all the time. And he, they all told me afterward they had a bit of a meeting, which was funny. They had a, a, a little meeting. a little quick meeting about, because after I made my fifth birdie or my fourth birdie, they were like, okay, we got to keep talking. We, you know, because they don't want it to go into silent mode, right? Like, again, we've yeah. talked about this. It's like watching a no-hitter. Yeah. So I'll just tell you one last quick part <laughs> of it. Meeting. I love that. They were, so I, I get to five under because I birdied 16 and 17 this, of the round. So now I'm five under. I've made no bogeys. And I, and I, so I think I wrote, I, I wrote this note to Ray, but I, I copied you on it as well. I stood up there on the ninth hole. It's a short par four. And we're playing it from the, like 380 or something. So I'm hitting three wood. Three seven. Is Leith Field? Yeah, Leith Field nine. And it was downwind, so I know I only have to, I don't have to hit driver. But there's trouble left. There's a burn right, and there's a bunker. And I just said to myself, because I knew it, I started to get a little, I started to suck a little air. And I knew that, uh, I knew two things. I knew I was going to shoot in the 60s no matter what I did in that hole. 
So yeah. that kind of gave me a bit of comfort. I'm like, okay, that, that check mark, you know, that box is checked. But I said to myself, just to hit us, like make a good, make a, make a strong swing. I just didn't want to guide it. I didn't want to like neck, neck it somewhere or pull hook it somewhere. I said, you know what? That's my, the, to the point of whatever, I was good with whatever was going to happen. As long as I smoked, I really not swung fast, but swung at it. Mm-hmm. And I hit my best drive of the day. I hit it right down the middle. And I hit a really good shot into the green. I had 12 feet for, for birdie, knowing that was for my best score ever at that golf course. Yeah, and, and I'm going to admit it. Yes, I knew what that putt was for. Hard not to. Hard yes, not to of know. Course. You know, and um, I would say I gave it an opportunity to go in. I don't think I gave it a great chance to go in. Like it, <laughs> it got to the hole, but it yeah. gave up just before it. And I had like a literally it was a couple of ball tap in. I mean, yeah. I didn't, I wasn't going to hit it four feet by that hole. So uh, then it was over. And as I said to you, when I sent you, I sent you, no, I mean, I guess like on those days, it just seems sort of golf is comically easy. And others, I'm sure you can relate to it. Maybe not that number, but, you know, Brooke Benny, our friend um, who's still my golf trainer, he shot 77, his lowest round ever. And he has the exact same story that I just gave you, except the number is different. Mm-hmm. Just all seemed so easy that day. Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations in person. Thank you. Rather than on email. But yeah, there's 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 days where it's almost like, geez, did the golf gods spray some little dust on me? I mean, it just things are happening okay, and and just enjoying that. But gosh, it's. It's having the presence of mind just to, to just enjoy it, ride it through, and and not make a a big deal about it. The the just not to get negative on you, but um, the problem that most of us have, is, and certainly me, is getting defensive. I hope I don't screw this up. And what I loved about what you talked about on that last tee shot is that okay, I'm going to do my level best here. I'm not going to be careful. I'm going to launch it. And that's just such a great, just such a great approach to, to just about everything. You know, I'm just going to do the damn best I can and just see what the hell happens. But I ain't going to be, uh, oh, my dad used to love this, this name, uh, Percy Milktoast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and be, and be Mr. Yeah. Careful and Cautious. No, uh, if I go down, I'm going down in flames. I'm going to go down in flames. And, and that, boy, that applies to tomorrow night, too. I know that even if I completely, I've got my family there, they're coming to watch, a couple other people I know, even if I completely bite it, no one's going to give a shit 24 hours later. They're just not going to care. It's, it's, I, that's what I was going to ask you, actually. Um, I thought about this earlier. You know, when you have, you know, bombed, as they say, um, how does that, how do you go forward from that to the next performance? And how do you think the, the audience carries forward? Does, is there anyone going around like they'll, they'll read that, they'll, they'll see Howard Glassman, Yaku, oh, I'm that guy, oh my God. I'm <laughs> so God. That is, he, he was so terrible. Horrible. It was so bad. It made, it was so bad. It gave me a disease. Um, how do you actually well, think that way? I don't think they do. I don't, you know, you know, first of all, when you're really bomb, I mean, like super bomb, you have to burn your clothing because it just stinks. It really is. It's like that. That's right. It's just that you have to burn your clothes. Um, <laughs> I mean, when I was doing it for a living and I would have a bad night, 
part of the reason is part of what happens to you is you you learn to differentiate between when it was kind of your performance or the audience just sucked. And most of the time, like I'm not, you know, I'm not bomb proof, but I have enough material that I've done enough times where I know when I get to the end of that sentence, people will have laughed at it. So unless I am so in my head that I can't get the words out, chances are pretty good that I'm going to shoot. The worst I could do tomorrow night is 80. You know, I'm hoping to shoot even par or better because it's a big audience. And big audiences tend to be, as I said earlier, it's like playing a soft, easy downwind par five. <laughs> so, but like, I'm not, I'm not saying, but yeah, listen, it could happen. I could completely, you know, shit my pants. Although, you know, that could be funny too. But, uh, but yeah, usually when I did it for a living, if I had a really, really bad show, um, early on, I took it very personally. And then later on, I was kind of like, well, listen, everyone had a bad show. It's not just you. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's like golf, right? Yeah. I mean, people take it personally. They play badly. And I mean, how many times have you had conversations with people that thought, oh, you, you know, you're pretty good golfer. You do a podcast or you coach golf. And they go, well, you wouldn't want to play with me. Yep. And wait, well, no, no, no. Come on. Uh, I'll play golf with you. It's just, you know, keep up, tell some good stories. <laughs> that's all we're looking for. Well, they are. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's, that's why it's such a great, um, it's so analogous to, uh, you know, performance, whether you're standing up in front of people giving a speech or whatever, because, you know, we'll sort of full circle and say that the guys I was playing with the day I shot 67 were keenly aware that I was having a day because it's hard not to notice it. And one of the guys who's on my senior Ryder Cup team, just a sweetheart of a guy, I make a birdie on 16. It's a par three. So I birdie it. And, um, and by the way, all my birdies... I only had one that was a kick in. The rest of them were actual putts, like 8, 12, 14, 15 feet. So I make a pretty good size putt, 15 footer. And he says to me, hey, you could shoot 66 today. <laughs> like out loud. Oh, he did. Yeah, he did. Oh. Just says it right out loud. It, it escaped. It, it did. Escaped it was like from his jaw. Yes. He goes, you could shoot 66. And here's how I handled it. I said, yeah, I'm aware of that possibility, Bruce. I've only got two holes to go. I'm aware of that possibility. But I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to see if I can hit the fairway on the next hole. And he kind of looked at me like, I was a nice way of telling him, I really don't want to talk about it. Exactly. <sighs> and then I, and then when I birdied the next hole, at that point, like I said, I walked to the tee. That was the only time that I can recall where it got a little quiet. Because I think everyone was kind of like, I wonder where he's going to hit this. And then when I smoked it, there was much joy in Hooland, you know, it was... Uh, and, and relief. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and relief. But it's yeah. funny how you have to sometimes, um, if you're playing with people who don't maybe have a lot of experience, sometimes you have to lay down some boundaries. Uh, <laughs> in our, seriously, you, you as you walk to the 10th hole, you're like, don't want to hear it. I don't need you to be my accountant. I'm just have a game going. Yeah. Well, funny you say that because I forgot the same guy said after nine holes, you were 34 on that side. I go, I know. Yep. I know. I can tell because I birdied two holes and part all the other ones. Well, maybe he learned from that experience and he won't uh, be so quick to spout numbers next time. Well, you know, again, but what harm did it do? I mean, I've now got enough experience that I didn't because I've listen, I've done I've blown. I've been three under with three holes to play and made a double bogey. Absolutely, I have. 
I've, I've definitely been there. And so now I've got enough experience for him yep. to say those things to me and kind of go, yep, that's true. But that's not going to help me hit the fairway on the next hole. And that's all. Well, I imagine what happens at the tour level. Yeah. Someone's got a good game going. Suddenly the, the bigger crowd, the cameras are following you and you are aware of, of all this heightened attention and you've got to deal with that. And, you know, guys will have the times earlier in their careers where that happens and they throw up on their shoes and yep. it's, it's but they have to move on past it. And that's just the way it goes. So maybe um, I know we weren't going to do a longer show, but just no, that, that maybe ship just sailed. Have, <laughs> yeah, maybe just yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. just make a, a mention that uh, when this show um, goes live on Friday will be the first day of the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And so much of what we've been talking about today is so applicable to that, because really the Ryder Cup is the it's the top of the mountain, I think, when it comes to emotion and the pressure they feel and all of that. The majors is one thing, but as so many of these guys have said through the years, when you have the uniform of your country and you're playing for your for your bros or mm-hmm. ladies in the Solheim Cup last week, that's a different level. And so, you know, I, there's so many cool stories of how people, um, you know, ride it through and. Gosh, I remember it was um, oh, there's a so the two gollies and a okay, two. I'm just writing that down. <laughs> two gollies, one gosh, two fucks. Remember Mark Kalkovecchia in the War by the Shore? Yeah. When I think he, uh, I think it was against Colin Montgomery. He was five. He up. was like, yeah, five yeah, exactly. Up. And then he ended. Up, he either he lost the match or yeah, he whatever. Did. He and, lost it, and he was like crying on the beach. He was despondent. He was, Oh, totally, totally. That I, I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to finish with that. I'm cheering. For, first of all, I'm cheering for the Europeans. Yes, me too. Always. Um, can't stand the Americans. I mean, individually, I like them, but I don't want them to win. I can't stand them. Uh, but there is <laughs> that that level of, uh, and again, this is no way analogous, but but my at my little level, we played this thing, and you were part of it this year. There's 180 teams in Ontario. And then you play a series of, you know, sort of regular season matches that get you to the playoffs. So not everyone makes the playoffs at the playoffs. There's, um, I think whatever, there's the four teams in your pod that make it and only two teams make it to the final. So we got through all that. And the first round of the finals, our team, uh, we, we sucked. I sucked. Me and Timmy are, we shouldn't say we sucked. We, we, re- we, we got beat. We got one point out of a possible six points. Mm-hmm. And the second day we came back and all our team played great. We went from ninth place to second place. By one point, we lost this thing. But I can tell wow. you the intensity of playing for our team is different than because you don't want to let anyone down. So mm-hmm. I can say again, it's not it's, it's somewhat analogous only in that it's a, a team thing. Imagine standing on the first tee and you're a Yankee doodle or one of the Europeans and you've got your entire continent or your country, it's got to be, like they talk about it, it's way more nervous than the first tee of the Masters. Oh, gosh, yeah. And the, and the songs are going, and the chants. That's one of the wonderful things. I think it was Michael Grange who uh, wrote a nice piece for Sportsnet years ago about being on the first tee in Europe and just hearing all those, basically they've taken all those soccer songs and just reconfigured them for golf. And they're funny, they're witty, but the intensity and how it's linked to 
playing for your country and your bros. He he just said it would just raise the hairs on on his arms and everything. It was just like electric. And can you imagine trying to just pull the trigger on a driver? Nope. <laughs> What's that going on? I think that's one of the reasons they made a case for, uh, and we talked a little bit about this for Justin Thomas. I mean, Justin Thomas yep. was number 15 on the points list. So it wasn't like he was way out of it. Just, and he had a pretty decent tournament a couple weeks ago. He played in the tour. I think he finished in the top five or six. But, you know, he, the reason he was a good pick is just what we're talking about. Because he's not only been on that first team now, excuse me, many times more than the rookies on that team, but he knows what it's like to win in that environment. Yep, totally. Yeah, you need the guys who have that. They can walk through the minefield looking, you know, looking straight ahead. Yep. Eyes up, tits up, as they say, and I'm I'm taking this on. And you need those guys. Yeah, I I thought that it was a, a... you know, and you go through the history of the Ryder Cup of, uh, you know, guys who were captain's picks. And kind of, I remember Curtis Strange getting picked a number of years ago and then went, mm, don't know about that one. But when you have a guy, have I think like Justin, Curtis Strange brought a swagger, um, mm-hmm. a just a sense of, you know, I got this, um, that that I think they hope percolates through the room yep, for sure. on the course and all of that. So it'll be cool, but I got to admit that this year, I there's a couple of guys in that European team. I don't know who the hell they are. I just haven't. Well, been one of the guys you want to watch close. is one of the guys you want to watch is Ludwig. That's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, I've heard he's that. something else. I watched a little bit of the European. He's already won. He's played six tournaments as a pro, and he got picked for the Ryder Cup. He's a pretty special kid. Yeah, he is. Cool. Um, he's got a great golf swing, as you can imagine. But it's uh, he's something to watch. He is. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not as familiar as it was back in the old days. But uh, I want to say uh, for the because we got to wrap it up. So for the uh, day, we have uh, for my calculations, <clears throat> two fucks, a golly, a gosh, and most recently some titties. So that's quite a day for our boy O'Connor. Very proud of you. Um, so we're going to, and then uh, next week, you'll hear us do a show with, I say, John Cocker. We're going to talk about instruction. Tim's going to give you some uh, information also about how you can work with Tim on your game this winter. Uh, the Substack, uh, which is great. Substack is called uh, Up and Down. Yep. Uh, com. And yeah, indeed, uh, I'm going to be coaching this winter at the Golf House uh, in uh, the north, north part of Guelph. I have... Um, this um, yeah, state of the art uh, launch monitor called Unicore. It's uh, just right up there with TrackMan and Foresight, and uh, yeah, really happy to be working with Mac and uh, Jake there this winter. So, uh, if you're interested in some coaching, you live in the the Guelph or Cambridge or Kitchener area, um, check out their website, the Golf the Golf House. Once again, thanks to uh, TaylorMadeGolf.ca, TaylorMadeGolf Canada, and uh, WhoIsOscarBravo.com, Stretch Lab Toronto. Thanks to each and every hey. one of you. Say again? Yeah, just, just a quick note. I uh, played with my brother on Sunday. Okay, and I'm sorry. He, should, I, should I turn the music off? No, no, no. I just quick, okay. Just keep the music going. He was playing with um, last year's Stealth Driver, and, and he's, he's a good, he's not a bad player. Man, he couldn't believe how far that he was hitting that ball with that thing. 
Because he's got, I think, about a 15-year-old driver. Like, whoa, he yeah. was hitting it a freaking mile. That is a great point. If your driver is, you know, more than a couple years old, you got to upgrade yourself. You're using a flip phone off the tee if you're not using it. Um, and, of course, uh, Humble and Fred. Uh, now back to four days a week at uh, Humble and Fred Radio. Just uh, look at wherever you get your podcast. That's where you'll find us. Until next time, thanks for everyone.